And when we get into the New Testament, which by the way, this is the last day that we're going to be focusing in on the Old Testament. Um, I'm, I'm glad you're sad about that. But I didn't hear alls from anybody else. Where are you all at? Come on. But uh, um, I think what, what's going to be interesting is we're going to see that everything that we've looked at so far, when we start taking apart the life of Jesus and talking about why he did what he did, why he taught what he taught, I think you're going to be very interested to see that there's not the old, bad, mean God of the Old Testament and the new, happy, slightly doped up God of the New Testament. That's not what you have. You actually have a completely consistent record of God's grace throughout history and a further revelation of what he's trying to accomplish. Uh, it all goes together, and it's all extremely beautiful. So I want to go through these uh, first parts here, but before we do, does everybody have a pen? I brought two so that Vern didn't have to throw anything at me. So that's good. You need one? Excellent. Can you catch? You good? Okay. There you go. <laughs> Love it. That's good. So the very first thing is the Bible is God's self-revelation. God wants you and me to know Him. He wants lost people to know Him. He wants everyone to know Him. So he has made it clear, with the Bible being the most translated book in the world and the best seller that's ever been, in order to get this truth taught into our lives so that we are changed people manifesting, demonstrating his glory living in a different way. He wants to be known because the knowledge of God is what changes people. Programs don't change people. I was so angry watching the news you've got some guy from the fbi at the podium in texas talking about what needs to happen and you've got a chief of police talking about what needs to happen and the county sheriff gets up here what needs to happen and the governor governor gets up there is what needs to happen in these shooting situations we just need stronger programs well, we just need better education about firearms. Well, we just need to raise mental health awareness. Has any of that junk ever helped? Not a bit of it. Boy, we'll spend a lot of tax dollars to make it happen. But things are not getting better. They're not getting better. And if you know what a post-millennialist is, which is somebody who believes the world's going to get better and better and better and better and better, and then it's going to be so good, Jesus will want to come back. You guys have gotten your act together so much. I'm so tired of being at the right hand of the Father. I want to come be with y'all. Because he does talk like that. First language, Hebrew. Second language, Kentucky, okay? But, folks, that's not the way the world's going. The world's getting worse. And until somebody will actually stand behind a podium with a microphone, they can tell the world, this is a result of sin. And the only answer is the new life that Jesus Christ has provided to forgive this sin. Until our country turns back to this, it's not getting different. It's not changing. It's not getting better. We're not going to hope more. Well, you're in my thoughts and prayers. Keep your thoughts and forget your prayers. Because it's praying to whatever God that you think will help you out at the time or answer like it's some sort of buffet. God is not Golden Corral. 
You can't take all the prime rib that you want and leave the Brussels sprouts on the side. No, you take him fully for who he is. And you are nourished on the things that taste good and you are definitely nourished on the things that don't taste good. And why is that? Because God wants you to know Him. And it's only by a knowledge of Him that we are changed. Nothing else does it. You can modify your behavior, but you're going to go back to who you were. That's a scary part, isn't it? I'm never going to do that again. Liar! We're not even into my sermon yet. (laughs) We cannot change ourselves. You have got to have outside help. And all the help you need is outside. Because there's nothing but dead man's bones on the inside. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we are nothing. Jesus is clear. The flesh profits nothing. I just need to try harder. I just need to do better. I need to put up a list of priorities. Well, I need to cut these things out. If any of that stuff is done, aside from a conviction that truth is brought in your life, you're going to go back to it. Even our AA meetings won't fully release you from the label of alcoholic, will it? Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. You can always go back. You know, It's always possible. There's not much hope in that. Just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Strive a little bit better. Try a little bit harder. Just don't go with those places. Just don't associate with those people. Man, I can't find any answers in me. Can't. I cannot find any answers in me. And when I sin, I am so boggled by that. And if it wasn't for the Word of God saying, that's because it's from your flesh. And that's what your flesh does. It sins. That's all it's going to do. The flesh doesn't get better. The flesh doesn't repair itself. The flesh doesn't manifest better things. The flesh sins. And it does it well. And that's all it does. Only by the Spirit do we put to death. And notice, the language is very clear that Paul uses in Romans 8. We put to death the deeds of the flesh. What does that tell me? It tells me that whatever spark is here with the Holy Spirit has got to have some gasoline thrown on it. Some of us pray a lot and read a little. We're labeled as talkers. Right? Interestingly enough, that's not my problem. Despite the sin that's going on in your mind right now about me. (laughs) Maybe we need to do 1 John 1 9 again. I don't know. <laughs> Praying's great. I'm never going to downplay it. We all need to pray more. We all need to have concentrated times of prayers, and it wouldn't hurt us to scar up our knees praying. It wouldn't help us to be prostrate on the prostrate on the ground. Not prostrate. <laughs> no. Yeah, prostrate yeah. on the ground. Praying. Humbling ourselves before the Lord. But I tell you this. If we're trying to pray apart from this, we have no direction. We have no fuel. We have no knowledge of what we ought to be praying. So this is God's self-revelation. He wants to be known, and He's trying to teach us something drastically different. Drastically different from how we think we ought to operate or what needs to happen in a crisis situation. 
If that sounds like foolishness to you, set up an appointment. Let's talk. I would love that. That ain't Jesus calling. Shut it off. Number two, God is the eternal, always has been, always will be. Sovereign, he has the right to rule, creator. And all that he creates is good because he is good. We cannot get that fundamental point wrong. God is good. Well, what about when he administers uh, punishment upon people and says to wipe out all these nations? If God's so good, then why didn't he stop this from happening? God is so good, he didn't kill you when you committed that sin. That's how good he is. He had mercy and he had grace. We often have this entitlement like God owes us something. He doesn't. He is a giver by nature. And that's what makes him gracious. But let's not sit here and attribute a lot of bad things to him. Let's not do that. We don't fully understand those things. Number three, we are responsible and we are held to a moral standard and only God by his truth sets that standard. Number four, Sin originates within us and it separates us from God. Why is it that we start out in a situation, being born into this life where we don't have a relationship with God? The reason is is because sin stands in the way. Sin is not ceasing. Sin is not you in the ground and people just heaping, or I'm sorry, death is not just you in the ground and people heaping dirt upon you to forget you forever. It is being separated from the one you should be with and conscious of it. The next one, God declares one righteous by faith alone apart from works. Every single person in here needs salvation and has either come to the point where they've recognized within myself is no answer and I am damned beyond help, except for the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ living a perfect life and keeping the righteous moral standard of the Lord perfectly, which is His law, and then dying a criminal's death, being a righteous man, so that I could be set free from all the sin that I heap upon myself and accumulate. I am in debt to Him. And apart from the Lord coming in and absolving that deficit, I'm in trouble. Thank the Lord that He has forgiven the sins of the world. The only thing that stands between a lost person and being with Him forever in eternity is unbelief. Unbelief. Well, don't their sins need to be paid for? No. He's the Lamb of God. He's already paid for their sins. That's already a done deal. That wall that separated lost people from Him has been torn down by the cross. And now access is available if a person responds to the Gospel. Next one, the glory of God is the centerpiece and goal of all existence. This is where history is going. God, the Creator, will be glorified. The last one, God's glory is maximally realized in the promised coming kingdom. The entire Bible does not point to salvation. It's not the point of the Bible. The entire Bible points to God's glory, and the way that that will be seen is when His Son returns and lays to waste all opposition and establishes for Himself 
in Jerusalem, a kingdom in which he will literally rule with perfect justice and mercy from the throne of David, sitting on it literally. It's not a joke. And that's everywhere that history is going. That is the culmination of all existence. He is the pinnacle and he is the end of all of it. Any questions before we move forward? We're all caught up to speed. Good. Now, if you would, take your Bibles. Turn with me to 1 Kings 12. We're going to talk a little history. Then we're going to talk a little bit about God's message through the prophets. There's so much going on with the prophets, I had no way to sit here and say, yeah, we're going to thoroughly dissect all the prophets. And the reason is, is because we would be here until the Lord returns doing that. There's so much going on. But let me suggest this to you. One of the greatest ways to learn about the prophets is to sit down with one of the books of the prophets and start going through it over and over and over. Use every Bible study method that you've ever been taught, and when you get to the end of that book, start again at chapter 1 and keep going. Go back again and go back again to get familiar with what's going on. The prophets are seen as a necessity because of something that happens. Now, we've had prophets before. Moses was even declared a prophet. We know that Nathan was a prophet in the time of David's kingdom, those types of things. But there was a huge upsurge of prophets that came on the scene, or at least their writings became prominent for the use of the Holy Spirit in Scripture to complete the Old Testament. But we're going to see the reason why. Now, if you think back to what we left off at last week, Solomon committed sin, didn't he? He was in grave sin. In fact, he went as far as to get on the high places where there were pagan altars, either presently or formally, and build new altars for his many wives so that they could sacrifice unto these false gods. Yahweh is very clear in the Old Testament. He is not to be worshipped as a common deity. He's not common. He is the creator of all things, and he is to be worshipped only as he prescribes worship. To worship him in any other way is to maybe have good intentions and to maybe be very sincere, but to be extremely off base. And I will tell you this, sincerity of heart never trumps ignorance of mind. Especially when the truth has been made plainly available. We have to remember, God is not hiding in a box. As much as the media would like to put him in one and try to get rid of him and remove him from the minds of every single person, that's not where he is. He has made himself plainly known, plainly seen, and he wants to be known. So now here's the problem. The consequence for Solomon's sin was that the kingdom was going to be ripped out of Solomon's hands. But because of David's faithfulness, he would spare that incident in Solomon's life, and instead it was going to trickle over into his son, whose name is Rehoboam. What you end up having is the kingdom splits. Israel splits into two sections. The top becomes known as Israel. It has ten of the tribes. And they elect for themselves a king who was a rebel named Jeroboam. 
And he presides over that. The bottom half becomes known as Judah because Judah is the dominant tribe down here where Jerusalem is. And also Benjamin is part of that. And so in 1 Kings chapter 12 is where we're going to look. I'm actually still in 1 John 1, 9. It's probably good if I get back here. I thought we were going to go over it again. 1 Kings chapter 12. And we are going to pick up in, what's that? I appreciate that. It's right before 2 Kings. You don't have the mic. <laughs> Chapter 12, verse 25. Now remember, this is all going on in the northern kingdom, okay? Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. Now notice, when you see Ephraim and stuff, you say, what in the world does that mean? When they divided up the tribes and they all settled places, he's giving us exact geography of where the city was built. And notice what happens here. And he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, uh-oh, that could be good, that could be bad, right? Now the kingdom will return to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at where? Now where's Jerusalem at? It's in the south, right? Oh, we just had a division here. We just had this agreement that we're going to split and notice his predicament. These people that I'm ruling over now in the north, they're still going to worship God. They're still going to want to give their praise and their sacrifices to Yahweh. But the place to do that is down south. Only at the temple, right? That is the place which God's presence dwells in which He is designated where He is to be worshipped. This is what is known, and you've heard me say this before, is the theology of sacred spaces. Deuteronomy chapter 12. The Lord alone picks where he is to be worshipped. It's not just about methodology, it's also about location. He's concerned about that, and he's very serious about that. So notice the predicament of this king is, okay, these people are going to want to worship, and they're going to go down south in order to do it. I'm going to lose my kingdom. Now, did anybody read 1 Kings 11, 12, 13 in that? You did. Who gave Jeroboam the kingdom? No, not the people. There was a very particular incident where a prophet came to him, which that should tell you something, right? I'm fishing here. God is the one who gave Jeroboam the kingdom. He actually says the Lord is going to rip it out of Rehoboam's hands and you're going to get 10 tribes to rule over. Jeroboam said, well, that sounds like a sweet deal. But now his problem is, is that when people want to worship, they've got to go into the other opposing territory in order to get that done. So he says that, if these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will return to their Lord. And notice it's not Lord Yahweh. It's talking about even to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Big problem, right? You got a kingdom, you're going to lose your kingdom. So, as any other wonderful, majestic sinner on the face of this earth, he comes up with a great plan. So the king consulted okay which is really dangerous because it doesn't say Yahweh after that it just says he can call consult it which means he probably got a lot of smart guys around and say hey guys here's my problem what should we do now if Yahweh's the one who gave him the kingdom should he be worried no just put it in the hands of God and let it go let God do what God does with it trust him with it 
If he took the time to send a prophet to you and said, you're going to get these people, seems like a good deal. So it says here, the king consulted and he made, now everybody hold on and reminisce with me about what this might sound like. He made two golden calves and he said to them, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold your big G, little G. Trouble, isn't it? Notice it says, Behold your gods, O Israel, that brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now Jeroboam's not too smart on history, is he? He must have completely pulled that book of Exodus out of his copy of the Scriptures and tossed it to the side and didn't see what happened. Oh, he made two. He's trying to improve on the previous model. So he's ultra stupid. Okay. That's good. So notice, here's what's sad about this. Do you notice the trickery in how he words it? That's too far for you to travel. Oh, I know, my back's been giving me problems. So I don't want to do that. Woo! Yeah, that's a long way, guys. And you know what? We canceled the bus service. It's not taking everybody down there anymore now that we've split up. Oh, yeah, but I'll tell you what I'll do for you. Let me craft two idols, which notice the best he could do was come up with something that's already created. That's, that's what paganism does. And we're going to set them in two different places. And because they're in two different places, whichever one you're closest to, you can work. Oh, man, that's so convenient. Sounds like the emergent church here, doesn't it? Let's just set it up for you. How convenient is it for you to worship, right? Notice then, this is the gods that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Let's take a divinely instituted deliverance program of which God called himself, I am Yahweh, your Elohim, who has rescued you from the fires of Egypt and delivered you from the house of slavery. Wasn't this how he was known? Isn't this how he introduced himself all the time? After that moment? Yes. This was a defining moment in Yahweh's relationship with them. And notice that this king uses it in order to point them into a false direction. He's in trouble. So he says here, verse 29, he set one in Bethel, which is interesting. House of God is what that means. And he put the other in Dan. Now this thing became a what? Yes, it did. For the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. And if you notice next, look at verse 31. And he made houses on where? High places. And he made priests from among all the people who were not the sons of Levi. This is the guy who says, hey guys, let's hold to the truth and worship God. And then he throws it away and does whatever he wants. And so now the northern kingdom is in great trouble. This is what is known as the sin of Jeroboam. If you read through here, 1st, 2nd Kings, you're, you're working through that section, and you will find, and they committed the sin of Jeroboam. And this was with the sins of Jeroboam. The sins of Jeroboam is worshiping in a place where God said not to worship. And none of the kings before learned from the previous mistake, and therefore they kept repeating the error and inviting the judgment of God. So much so that the Assyrians came in in 722 B.C. and took the northern kingdom away. And the Assyrians were no joke. These were the guys that took their captives and skinned them in order to put their skins as covering on their furniture. Anybody got that lazy boy model in their living room? I would like flesh colored, please. (laughs) We can help you. No, that's weird. And when they would lead their people away, they had these things that look like fish hooks. 
but they were all chained together like this and they would put it inside their mouth and hook their cheeks and hook them to the next person and to the next person and then they would lead them back they would cut off their heads and cut a top in their heads and fill it with oil and put their heads on stakes and light them on fire so that they could see while they're sitting on their flesh-colored recliner they were not to be messed with so the assyrians come in and they take away the northern kingdom judgment because of disobedience now the southern kingdom fared a little bit better they at least lasted until 586 bc but you're probably familiar with the book of daniel king nebuchadnezzar and he comes in through a a few different campaigns and begins to just take people away until finally jerusalem falls in 586 so now this leaves you to a point where what do you do with the prophets I'm going to ask you to do this in your spare time, okay? Because we just don't have the time allotted for it. I know we don't have Sunday school to make that joke. That joke's old. But read sometime, please, Deuteronomy 28. It's in your notes. There's some commentary on it a little bit. But read it for yourself. And here's the reason why. In Deuteronomy 28, let me just give you briefly, verses 1 through 14 are the blessings that are in place if Israel will just be sold out and faithful to following God. But... From verse 15 until verse 68 of that chapter are cursings for not obeying him. So think about that. When they, when they divided this up with chapter and verse numbers, first 14 verses, blessings. But from verses 15 to 68, cursings of what would happen. In fact, Mitch, if you don't mind, let's bring up the couple of verses on the cursings. I think it's 2820 is one of them. I think it is Deuteronomy 28. Number 20, I think it is. Yeah, 2820. Here's an example of one of the cursings. The, the, the whole idea kind of summarizes a few times. Yahweh will send upon you curses, confusion, and rebuke in all you undertake to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly on account of the, what does it say? Evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. Yahweh will make the pestilence cling to you until he has consumed you from the land where you are entering to possess it. In fact, guys, it gets so bad that they end up resorting to cannibalism. That's how far the sin of Israel from wandering away from God. And see, here's the the crazy thing. Compare this today. From God plainly and openly revealing himself and speaking truth into their lives, and even saying, write it down, post it, and even to the kings, when you get into office, write it down, know it, memorize it, know it like the back of your hand. It's not that we have a lack of Bibles. It's really not that we need to give more money so that more Bibles will be made in this country. It's the fact that we're so illiterate about the Scriptures for one reason. We just don't read it. You guys realize that busyness is from Satan? Busyness is from Satan. It's become a God. We worship it. We're always chasing something. Dollars do not suffice. You cannot worship God in money. So if that's the reason why we're busy, we got problems. If you're busy because you can't stand your wife, you got marital problems. If you're busy because you can't stand your kids, you got family problems. But it ain't nothing that the Word of God can't correct if you just get it involved in your life. 
And here it is, open, ready for us to receive it. You guys are scared, aren't you? What's he going to do next? I just want to love you, I promise. So, why do I take you to these blessings and cursings? Here's the reason why. Because it is the key to understanding the prophets. You're not going to find a prophet say anything that does not conform perfectly with what goes on in Deuteronomy 28. Because they're going to tell them, if you will turn to the Lord, here's all the blessings that will happen. You know what? It's the same blessings that He told you years and years and years ago. You just weren't listening then. Or you didn't pass it on to your kids. So now I want to tell you the exact same thing again. If you don't follow Him, here are all the cursings. And guess what? That's at the end of that chapter. And it was told to you back then. But I want to tell you again. So the prophets come on the scene for one of many reasons, but the main thing is they are the mouthpiece of God. They are the deliverers of direct revelation where God has positioned and sent someone by special calling to a people to convict them of sin, to deliver a message, to call for reforms in their society. And the reason was, and get this, don't let this be lost on you, the reason was is because their worlds revolved around everything but... God. It was about everything except what mattered. Is there anything wrong with having leisure activity? No. Where's God in your life? Is there anything wrong with really liking your kid's soccer team? No. Where's God in your life? If he's in the bullseye, and if you're aiming at the bullseye every time, then all these other things are fine because they've been put in perspective underneath the roof of what is the revelation of God. But I tell you this, if he's not the bullseye, your house is out of order. It is out of order. And I guarantee you it is worth your time as much as it will sting to sit down, men, and have this conversation with your wives and give them the opportunity to speak and tell you how they deeply feel about the direction of which you are leading this house. Because if you're not leading it towards the Lord, she knows it. And she feels it. I came to preach today, man. And I'm serious. It's a big deal. Some of you have spouses that don't follow the Lord. You feel that. And it hurts. And it's the major bone of contention in your relationship. I'm not saying that to condemn you or shame you. I'm saying that because I sympathize with you. And we need to pray. And isn't that the whole reason why God put the church together? By the mutual encouragement of one another, we keep our hearts softened to the things of God so that we will be built up. Why? Because everything around us is sin. It is sinful. That's exactly what the prophets came to address. Now, if you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to Hosea. That's a good place to go. We could have picked anything. Yeah. Look for the dust and just turn a little bit more, right? Hosea. It is. Let the record show Kevin didn't have the mic. It's true. I'm just messing with you. One of the functions of a prophet was to call the people to obedience. Was pretty much to stand up and say, guess what? Life is out of whack. Culture is out of whack. 
And the way that it got that way was not it just happened or it's somebody else's fault. Every single person has a role of personal responsibility in fostering and nurturing a culture of which Yahweh God is exalted. Every single person is responsible. How do we know that? Because he's made his revelation plain. Know it. Do it. Very easy. Very easy. So what I want to show you here, chapter 14, it's the very end of the book. What do we know about Hosea? That's probably a good place to start. It's always fun stuff, right? God called him to do what? Marry a prostitute. Raise your hand if God called you to marry a prostitute. Woo! Now that wasn't me raising my hand, okay? <laughs> my wife is not here today. She is a beauty. It's not her. But yeah, she knew I was going to say something. You're dressed up two days in a row. I don't even know how to handle life, okay? So, but called in Mary prostitute and to have children by her. And the whole reason was to paint a vivid picture to Israel. This is what my relationship is like with you. I love you. I'm sold out to you. I give my heart for you. I provide for you and everything. And you instead want to run around and sleep with all the other nations and all the other gods when you have the best sugar daddy at home. That's the idea. You have the best love you could ever possibly get and you are settling for lesser loves. You almost wonder if Israel's not a high school girl. Does that sit in with anybody? But he loves me. No, he doesn't. He's evil. Get away. But isn't that Israel? Isn't that Israel's history in that time? Well, maybe this. Well, maybe this. Well, maybe this. Well, maybe God. How come he's never the first answer? So here's an here's a, here's a idea of what Hosea is going to tell us here. Starting chapter 14, verse 1. Return, O Israel, to Yahweh your Elohim. Notice it. I love it. No bones about it. Return. You know what you need to do. Get back with him. For you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Stop. Whose fault is it? It's theirs. Notice that. Personal responsibilities in play. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously that we may present the fruit of our lips. Assyria will not save us. Very interesting. This is before the captivity. Assyria will not save us. What does Assyria do? No, Assyria will fish, fish hook you and then use your arm for their armrest, right? Literally. So notice, Assyria will not save us. There's no salvation in another nation. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say, Our God, notice the little g, to the work of our hands, idolatry. For in you the orphan finds mercy. And notice what God says, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them, and I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like the lily. And he will take root like the cedars of Lebanon. He will, his shoots will sprout. And his beauty will be like the olive tree. And his fragrance like the cedars of Lebanon. Those who live in his shadow will again raise grain. Notice, if you will just take your refuge in the Lord, life will turn around. He says here, and they will blossom like the vine. His renown will be like the wine of Lebanon. 
Oh, Ephraim. Now, real quick, why does it say Ephraim? Ephraim is another name that is used for Israel in the Scriptures because whenever Joseph's line came on the scene and the brothers at the beginning had committed such sins, Yahweh passed over them for the promise. Judah receives the kingly line. We all know that because Jesus is the line of the tribe of Judah, descended from Judah. But as far as the inheritance line or the birth line, I guess would be considered going on, uh, uh, how would we say that? I guess that's how we would say it. And I can give you references for that if you would like it. Uh, Genesis 48, 14, and 20 would be one of the references. And then 1 Chronicles 5, 1 through 2. Genesis 48, 14, and 20. 1 Chronicles 5, 1 and 2. That line came through Ephraim. So it was divided at that moment. The blood went through Ephraim's line. The royal designation goes through Judah's line. We'll talk about that later when we get to Jesus and his birth and everything in a couple, or two, three weeks. So it says here, O Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. And I am like a luxuriant cypress. From me comes your fruit. Now watch this. I love how he calls these people to account. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of Yahweh are right, and the righteous will walk in them, but transgressors will stumble in them. Now there are many, many, many examples of prophets calling Israel away from idolatry and back into the good graces of the Lord. But they have to come to a position of realizing, sobering up from whatever adulterous relationships they're in with these foreign gods and realize that He is the only God. That's one idea of how a prophet works. If you would, turn to Isaiah 11. Prophets also were pivotal in announcing the Messiah and also announcing His coming kingdom. Isaiah 11. And this is probably one of the most beautiful recognitions of Jesus Christ. And when you, when you get into your notes, and you will see that I've cited Jeremiah 23 in your notes. We're not going to touch it today. But the reason why I cited that is because there is a connection there that says, I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And this prophecy in Isaiah connects the righteous branch imagery that is connected to David. And so I want to show you this, and then in your spare time when you study that, you can see the connection. Chapter 11 of Isaiah verse 1, Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, which is David's father, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of Yahweh will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and strength. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of Yahweh. And he will delight in the fear of Yahweh. And he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he, now watch this, he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, which is truth. And with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist. Now, if you were going about trying to interpret this and set this in history, when does Jesus come as a judge? Do we know? 
The second coming, exactly, the second coming. In fact, when you read the book of Revelation, you find something very interesting about the description of Jesus. He's depicted, and they talk about his eyes are like a flame of fire, his feet are like bronze, white flowing hair, which is nothing like we've ever had any pictures drawn of him, but it just is amazing to to see him breathtaking. He's gleaming, but one interesting thing is, is he has a sash that stretches from his shoulder and goes down across his chest to meet his waist across the breast here it's not around his waist it's across his chest and the reason is is because that's the type of sash that a judge would wear at that time so even the imagery of him is depicting the whole purpose of why he is showing up in that first chapter of revelation he's now coming as judge the time of mercy and grace is over and now it's time for him to settle accounts well notice it's not any different from this he will come as a judge and it's not about what he sees and it's not about what he hears it's about his righteousness making the difference so then it moves on verse 6 and it talks about what it's going to be like in the kingdom and the wolf will dwell with the lamb i just went to the zoo i didn't see that you guys ever seen that no how about this and the leopard will lie down with the young goat never seen that and the calf and the young lion and fatling together That's called lunch, not fellowship. And a little boy will lead them. Sounds dangerous. Also, the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. Mothers, anybody? No. And the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. No, no, no. But isn't that how great the kingdom's going to be? There's no threat and there's no fear. God reigns supreme. There's no danger. There's no death. Notice this. Verse 9. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth. I love this. The earth will be full of the knowledge of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. Then, and notice the indicator for time, in that day, when that happens, at that time when he is judge and sets up the kingdom and it is peace throughout And there is no fear of destruction. Notice what it says here. The nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal. And the word means a standard, a sign. He is a rallying point for the earth, is the idea. He will stand as a signal for the peoples. And his resting place will be, what's the word? Praise God for it. Let me ask you this. Could you, could you use some glorious rest right now? <laughs> oh, brother. Woo! All right, I started to see some, some Pentecostal glory fans pulling out right now, right? Absolutely we could. Because we look at our world, let's be honest. Isn't it interesting that, that, that the world has, oh, you've got a case of the Mondays. You know what that is? Early morning dealing with sin. And what is the cure that we put forward? coffee exactly thank you for saying it that's exactly i haven't had my coffee yet we've even got signs now that say ain't nothing too hard to handle with a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of jesus now we look at that we're like oh that's cute that's funny right that bothers me there's something that jesus can't do that coffee can i'm a little worried you see what i'm saying Dangerous theology, guys. Dangerous. You're too picky. I promise you I'm not. 
So notice the idea of one of the greatest themes is the prophets declaring there's future hope for you guys. Is the idea. Last part, false prophets. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 13. We'll look at this. The problem when you've got an upsurge of prophets that come on the scene is that you've got a lot of guys that want the accolades of being a prophet, that enjoy the personal earthly riches that they think being a prophet will bring. But what you end up with is a lot of yes people. A lot of soothsayers. A lot of people that don't want to talk about what the hard things are in life. That don't want to tell us the truth. It's been interesting. The people that want to come and talk with me about I have to tell them the reason why this is a problem is because you're doing this, this, and this in your life. And the Word of God clearly says, stay away from that stuff because it's not helping anything. What you're involved in is sin. They usually don't come back for another appointment. They don't schedule another one. But let's be honest, isn't that the way that biblical counseling should be? The problem is sin. That's what we've got to deal with. And the problem isn't getting better at it, the problem is exposing it. Well, notice, there's a whole upswing of people who came on the scene when the prophets did that now want to say, well, what's going to make you happy? In fact, if you're familiar, who's familiar, who here is familiar with Daniel? I know Pastor Paul preached through it. Familiar with Daniel? And remember, Ezra had a dream? And he said, you tell me the dream, right? And remember, you know, you interpret the dream, you tell me what it is, and that way I know you're telling the truth. Well, King, if you just tell us what the dream is, we'll tell you. Why? Because we're real good at making junk up. That's why we're all really theater students and incognito as prophets. We can improvise the situation, and we'll come up with whatever you want to hear to make you happy so that you don't take away that one guy that rubs my feet a lot. I like that. They're all in it for themselves. So watch this. What's interesting is, notice where we are in the Scriptures. Deuteronomy, right? Notice that God is warning Israel about false prophets are going to come. And look at the specifics. Very interesting, because we don't think like this today. Chapter 13, verse 1, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, it's David Copperfield with a robe and sandals, right? That's what we're talking about. Siegfried and Roy here. Notice it says, and the sign or wonder comes true. Stop. Can you trust him? I mean, he did a miracle. It wasn't just pulling a rabbit out of a hat. Maybe it was something like Yahweh said, strike this rock, water will come out. Maybe he can do that. Does that mean he's telling the truth? Look what it says. It says, and the sign or wonder comes true, verse 2, concerning which he spoke to you, saying, now watch this, let us go after who? Other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet and that dreamer of dreams, for Yahweh your Elohim is testing you to find out if you love, notice that, Yahweh your Elohim with all your heart and with all your soul. Now let's finish this real quick and come back and hit this. Because I saw a lot of people's light bulbs go off and I really liked it. Verse 4. You shall follow Yahweh your Elohim and fear Him. And you shall keep His commandments. Listen to His voice, which is interesting. That would have brought back Exodus 20 when the Lord audibly spoke to them from the top of the mountain. Listen to His voice. Serve Him and cling to Him. Does anybody have a different word there besides cling to Him? What is it? Cleave. Hold fast. Does that sound like anything you know in Scripture? 
And a man will leave his father and his mother and hold fast and cleave and cling to his wife and the two will become one flesh. It's the same word. How do you cling to your sweetheart? Do you cling to God that way? Notice that. Notice the warning is remain close to Yahweh so you don't fall prey to this, this, this junk, this garbage they're trying to sell you. So, notice what it says after that. How do you deal with it? Chapter uh, 13, verse 5. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. Execution. Capital punishment. Let's not make apologies for it. Let's accept it for what it is. Why is that, God? Because he has counseled, what's the word? Rebellion. Treason. Good word. He has counseled rebellion against Yahweh, your Elohim, who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And notice this, to seduce you. That word means to drive away, to scatter you from the way in which Yahweh, your Elohim, commanded you to walk. He will completely destroy your fellowship with the Creator of all things is the idea. Notice what it says, so you shall purge the evil from among you. Does this paint a good picture of how sin should be handled? Sin deserves death. You're always very forceful about it. So this, some of this might unsettle us a little bit. Turn back to verse 3. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet and that dreamer of dreams. Why? For Yahweh your Elohim is testing you to find out if you... What is the word, guys? Love. Stop. Love? What? But I have good thoughts about God. I have good intentions about God. Now we've talked about this, so let me test you. What is love equated with in the Bible? Obedience. That's not how we teach love today, is it? It's not what I find in CoverGirl magazine. Not that I have a subscription or anything. But you don't find it there. You don't find that Love is a situation where a couple of teenagers just couldn't control their hormones and so self-control went out the window. You don't find that being love. You don't find love as being obsessed with somebody and so if somebody opened up the wrong door in your house, you actually got pictures of Rob Lowe pasted up all over the wall and a neon sign that says, I love Rob Lowe. It's not infatuation. It's not obsession. Notice it's familiarity and responsibility. Do I know my God? And will I follow Him in what He says? But this guy came along, you don't understand. And just to use something cliche, because I can't think of anything better. But he put up a sheet, and when he brought it down, the Statue of Liberty disappeared. He's got to be telling the truth. Because when he raised up the sheet and brought it down, it reappeared again. Is it the sign? that dictates truth. Is it? No. Is it the wonder? Is it the wow? And yet, don't we live life in the wow? How many of you got itchy fingers right now just ready to check your news feed on Facebook when you get out of here? Anybody? Raise your hand if you're checking Facebook right now. <laughs> now, you laugh, but I'm not so foolish to think that somebody's phone and Facebook ain't out right now, Okay. See, we've already got a lack of self-control problem. 
We've already got an obsession problem. We've already got infatuation problems because everything wants to distract from our attention so that we can't focus it on the thing that really matters. Now, if you're not putting two and two together, I am trying to assume the role of a prophet here to tell you the evaluation of our society and where we have gone wrong and how we need to return back to the truth. we got a truth problem, guys. It is a truth problem. And here's how we make up for it. Hey, how's your walk with the Lord going? Well, because it always starts like that, right? That's the answer. Well, and then you kind of look down sheepishly. It's not what it ought to be. Why? Busyness. Busyness. Satan sits on a throne of busyness and he wields a rod of doubt. He has no problem with it. He has no problem with crowding out life. Anybody had daily time in God's Word for at least seven days in a row? Six, six. Do I hear six? How about five? Five, five. Give me five, five, five. How about four, four, four? You almost have to get auctioneer about it because you're trying to find a taker. Yeah, one, one, that's me, one, one, that's me. And just now, I'll count this today, right? Church counts as my time in the Word. But you see what I'm saying? It's not that we haven't been given enough. And let's be honest, it's not that we don't know enough. It's not that we're, it's, it's that we're not applying ourselves to what is plain. This was the mission of the prophets. Guys, God already told you this. And He told you what would happen if you didn't listen. And He told you how He just can't wait to burst open the storehouses of mercy and flood you with blessing if you will just walk with Him. God is dying to give. Take that for how you want. But isn't that the whole reason why Jesus was killed? He died so God could give us more. And more. And more. And more. And more. He wants to bless our faces off. It's like a continual stream. It does not stop and He's constantly pouring it out. And instead, our cups are doing this. Maybe we get a little bit in. Maybe we get a little bit here. All I need is a little bit here. One paragraph devotions don't do it, guys. You just got the spirit real excited about something. Then they realized it was somebody else's words and you weren't really focusing on the text. You were more concerned with what the author had to say. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. since i got a couple more minutes on this tirade, let me go ahead and say it. Christian bookstores want you to think that it works. That's why they sell them like that. Because it makes them money. And it's way more expensive than secular devotionals would be. Pick you up a secular devotional. Saying pretty much the same thing. Cost you less money. I mean, it's just... 
Why do, I mean, ask yourself this question, please. Don't leave without answering this question in your own mind. Why do we sometimes have such an aversion to the Word of God? We get all around it. We can't get it behind me somehow. We just don't want to get on top of it and in it. And yet Paul tells us, Colossians 3.16, let the Word of God dwell in you, set up shop, richly. That means oodles and gobs in the Greek. Bunches. Lots. Do we have a Word of God problem? Because here's the interesting thing. You won't find one prophet not one that you read where you don't read through and you step back and you go, wait a second, these people have got a Word of God problem. That's a problem here. Here's a secret, guys. That's always the problem. It's always the problem. Jeroboam consulted. Did he consult the Word of God? Did he consult the Lord's face on this? No! Well, these people went off astray. Israel's now worshiping this. Do they have a Word of God problem? Yes! Everyone you look at, it's a Word of God problem. If loving God, if to sit here and say that we love God is a knowing God's Word and doing God's Word, and then we might be sitting here thinking, man, I probably do have a Word of God problem here. I'm just not spending time with Him like I know I ought to. Then it's really hard to take the stepping stones to saying, yes, I have a love of God relationship with Him. When the first step is out of whack and can't be found. Does that make sense? There's no way we can get to that because I've got to know Him. So I've got to open this and get into it and let it fill my mind. And then I can begin walking with Him. And next thing you know, because I'm obeying His Word, then I have a love relationship with Him. But there's no shortcut to that. There is no instant spiritual growth. It just doesn't work. Those methods, those methods may look right. They may look good. I promise you this, they're as crooked as Ruth Chadwick parking in a parking spot. It's bad. What's on the screen? Oh, how'd that get there? And what's funny is, is notice her hands on the wheel. That's because she got back in to recorrect it. And when I asked her how it went, she said, it looks the same way it did when I did it the first time. <laughs> I told you I'd get you. It's good. See, now it's over. You don't have to worry about it ever again. Mitch, put that on the archives. We'll use that one over and over. <laughs> Let me say this. And then we'll pray and close. I can sit up here on a soapbox all day long. I get it. But let me say this. I was talking, I think, with Vern about this a little bit. This isn't a job. Understand this. My position before you is not a job. It's not about money. It's not about putting in your time and getting your due and all that stuff like that. It's a calling. It's a calling. And, it's not, and, and understand this, guys. It's not any different for you. It's not. Don't cheapen it like it is. Well, this is just where I happen to go to church. Or this is just where I'm 
you know, we decided that we like this. Don't let your, your participation in the body of Christ be you led. Let it be God led. Now, why do I say that? The reason why I say that is because if we have a truth problem, things don't begin getting exciting in our lives until we're applying that truth. And we're at a very critical moment as a church. Because we could sit here and run on a lot of feelings. And those fumes could give out quickly. Or, we could be constantly fueled by the Word of God, which will last us the rest of our lives. The fire won't wane. It doesn't die out. It doesn't get bleak. It can still be seen no matter how dark times get. Why? Because when you're, when you're sitting on this, everything around you can go to hell and it's okay. Everything around you can fall to pieces. Everything around you can come crumbling down. And you can say, you know what? God's Word didn't change in any of this situation. And because I know it, I don't need to be changing in this situation. I can still hold fast to Him because He is my Father and I am His child and everything that He has spoken to me is sure. Do you have a truth problem? Let's pray. Father, thank You for being merciful and giving us an abundance of Bibles. The same Scriptures, Lord. 66 books. They do not change. Everything You want us to know. Everything You want us to do. To teach us how to love You. To teach us where to worship You. And we see, Father, this calling is not any different than the prophet's that identified the evils of their day and showed this is how it is wrong in comparison to the Word of God. And Lord, what we see is sin is rampant. It is always the problem and the truth is always the answer. And Lord, if we, if we are thinking through our lives right now, we say, yeah, it's half-hearted. Just am not invested like I ought to be. Let this be a day of difference and change. Father, it's not something we can enact of ourselves, but it does start with recognizing our error and then calling upon You to make the difference. Father, make a difference in our lives. Be the difference in our lives. And if we have set up the kingdom of our life around something else, I pray, God, it be torn down and we position it around You, our holy Creator, our amazing Savior. You alone are worthy of our time, attention, everything. So Father, thank You for loving us in spite of our failures. And thank You for the truth that You put us back on a pursuit of You. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.